0: Hi, this is Chris Young, and welcome to episode 11 of Contemplating a Life. This week we're going to continue our multi-part series on my off-again, on-again relationship with God and the Catholic Church. Let me reiterate my usual disclaimer when I discuss religion here. I'm not specifically trying to evangelize or proselytize anyone. I'm just sharing my views and experiences about faith. I hope it's entertaining and informative. If by chance you find it sparks something in your own faith journey, that's fine also. When we left off before the Oscar break, I was 19 years old and i just decided to leave the Catholic Church. My passion for science, my intense skepticism, and the failure of the Church to engage me in meaningful ways led me to quit going to Mass. I had no ill will towards the Church— I wasn't mad at God, at least not now. There was one occasion a few years earlier when I was mad at God. One of my best friends in high school, Terry Johnson, who was two years older than me, died of complications of his muscular dystrophy just six months after graduating from high school. He had earned eight consecutive semesters of straight A grades and was awarded an academic letter sweater. However, after graduation, he did nothing with his life. He never attempted to enter college or find employment. Like some people whose lives end when they retire from a lifetime of hard work, after high school, he had no future and apparently gave up on life. It seemed to me that all the hard work he put into getting those perfect grades was a total waste. After his death, I was determined not to let High school graduation be a death sentence for me i already had college plans and plans for a career as a computer programmer his senseless passing made me more determined to make it to college but less determined to achieve academic perfection i'd rather have a good time while i lived goof off earn b's and c's than work my ass off getting a's and end up dying young I wasn't so much angry that he died. Unfortunately, I lost lots of friends from complications of their disability at an early age. It was never easy to lose friends, but somehow I took this one personally. I concluded somewhere along the way the only purpose or meaning I could find from his death was that it might motivate me to be different. Somehow that made me feel responsible for his death as if God killed him just to teach me a lesson. I can't really say that that argument with God was part of why I left the church. You can't be angry with someone who you're not certain even exists. While I seriously doubted the existence of God, I didn't describe myself as an atheist. In my opinion, atheists are absolutely certain that there is no God. Good scientists are never absolutely certain about anything. You always have to be open to new evidence. I describe myself as having an open mind about God and religion, but I didn't do much of anything to try to fill that opening. If you pin me down, I might identify with the label agnostic, but somehow that word felt like it described someone who couldn't make up their mind. So if agnostics were considered wishy-washy, and atheists are radically anti-religion, I needed a different label. In the early 1970s, they invented a label that seemed to fit my beliefs the best, secular humanist. It seemed to me that phrase was invented in response to the accusations of religious people that atheists were immoral because they didn't have God in their lives. Calling yourself a secular humanist was a way of saying, hey, I have morality and values that are not significantly different from mainstream religion. I just don't think it's necessary to connect that sense of morality to the belief in a deity. One of the values that my mother had instilled in me was that I had a strong sense of volunteerism. As I was growing up in the early 60s, it was not common for housewives to work outside the home. That gave her lots of free time, especially during the school year. It began with her involvement in the PTA at the special education school I attended. She served as room mother, which meant that she hosted Christmas parties and Valentine's Day parties, as well as a thank you party after our annual fundraising cookie sale. I recall she was elected treasurer of the PTA and eventually the president. This led to involvement in the PTA at the city and statewide levels. From there, she became involved in education and disability advocacy with a grassroots coalition known as the Council of Volunteers and Organizations for the Handicapped or COVO, C-O-V-O-H. That organization helped secure the passage of the Indiana Mandatory Special Education Act, which required all Indiana school districts to develop special education programs. And this was a few years before the federal mandate required the same nationwide. For once, the state of Indiana was ahead of the curve During the summer of my college years, and then later after college and after I had to quit work because of my worsening disability, I accompanied her to the Indiana State House to lobby the General Assembly for disability issues. We also attended several monthly meetings of the Indiana State Building Commission as they were revising building codes that included accessibility requirements. In a future episode, I'll tell you some stories about those efforts. She also served on the Indianapolis Mayor's Advisory Council on the Handicapped and on the Indiana Special Education Advisory Council, and I attended many of those meetings with her. She also did significant volunteer work for a United Way agency called the Marion County Muscular Dystrophy Foundation which is now known as the Indiana Muscular Dystrophy Family Foundation. I'll detail her work for them in another episode. She served on their board of directors for several years. I followed in her footsteps, joining the board of the MCMDF immediately after she left. I also was invited to serve on the board of directors of another United Way agency, the Central Indiana Radio Reading Service. This organization used a subcarrier frequency of Butler University radio station to broadcast people reading articles from the daily newspaper and some magazines for people who were described as print handicapped. This included blind and visually impaired people, as well as physically handicapped people who could not handle a newspaper or a magazine. In future episodes. I'll talk more about my involvement in these activities. I only mention them here because it describes what I was doing while I was away from the church. And as you'll see, my involvement in these activities gradually and directly led me back to the church. As I mentioned, I had no beef with the Catholic Church. I admired and respected my mother's faith and her involvement in the church. Somewhere along the way, Mom transitioned, from her time doing disability advocacy to becoming more involved in parish activities. She served on the parish council and was involved in a variety of activities in the church. Along the way, she heard about a software package developed by a priest and one of his parishioners called Parish Data System, or PDS. It was a database that would keep track of your membership. It not only kept track of names, addresses, phone numbers of families and members of the family. It also allowed you to record sacramental records, such as if your kids had received First Communion or Confirmation. It would also allow you to tag members of the family with keywords, such as maintenance committee or school family or Eucharistic minister or usher greeter. It would also keep track of financial contribution records, Around you to print charitable tax statements at the end of the year. Because she had become skilled at using my personal computers for her volunteer activities, she knew how important a computer could be for church work. She works to get us a personal computer for the parish. Now, I was happy to volunteer to get the program up and running and to advise them on how best to use it before we were able to obtain a computer for the parish office, I allowed their volunteer bookkeeper to use my computer and spreadsheet software to prepare monthly financial statements and annual reports. Although I didn't attend Mass on a regular basis, if someone in the family was having a baptism or a First Communion, I had no problem attending to show my respect and to support their spiritual journey. I might have also tagged along on occasions for Christmas or Easter, or at least I wasn't opposed to the idea of going to church for some special occasions. Through my involvement with the Muscular Dystrophy Foundation, I was invited to attend a special volunteer recognition mass at St. Peter's and Paul Cathedral, the seat of the Archbishop of Indianapolis. The invitation went out to a variety voluntary organizations, which included United Way agencies. I've always admired Archbishop Edward Teal Mira. Each year, the Catholic Archbishop is invited to give the invocation at the Indianapolis 500. Rather than pray in the name of Jesus, as your typical NASCAR chaplain might do, he always gave a very ecumenical prayer. Here's an excerpt from his 1990 invocation. For the 10th time, we have the privilege of introducing the Most Reverend Edward T. O'Meara, Archbishop of the Catholic Archdiocese of Indianapolis, for our invocation. It is God's weekend. It is Memorial Weekend. And it is Race Weekend. As conscience guides us, each in our own way offers homage of mind and heart to the supreme being of the universe, to the Lord of all that telescope Hubble will bring into our view, this day may God be thanked and praised. The cathedral had just completed a major renovation, and my dad had worked on part of it. He, he refinished huge bronze doors at the front of the building. The opportunity to hear the archbishop speak on the topic such as volunteerism, and to see my dad's handiwork, it seemed like it was a reasonable excuse to go to Mass on a weekday afternoon. I also got to visit the Blessed Sacrament Chapel attached to the cathedral, which is the location of my parents' wedding. The renovations of the building did not do much in the way of accessibility. I had to go up and down a very steep ramp that definitely was not according to disability access standards, but at least it worked. The Archbishop had just returned from a meeting of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops in which they ratified a document expressing the immorality of the nuclear arms race. While the Church agrees that there are instances where going to war can be justified when all else fails, this document declared that nuclear war, which indiscriminately kills innocent civilians and threatens the entire human race to possible extinction, could not be justified under any circumstances. In his homily, he was quite enthusiastic about this new teaching document and was looking forward to finding ways to have it proclaimed and understood at the parish level. The overall theme of the Mass, however, was volunteerism. As previously stated, that was a word that I strongly identified with. So he was speaking to me and my kind. He talked about the nobility and the necessity to serve our fellow human beings, a message that I completely agreed with. Everything he was saying about war and about volunteerism resonated strongly with me. He was a very likable, intelligent, a charismatic speaker. Somehow, he tied it all into serving God. Whatsoever you do to even the least of my brethren, you do unto me, according to the parable in Matthew's Gospel. When we returned home, Mom asked me what I thought of the experience. I told her how much I enjoyed it, and how the Archbishop's message resonated with me. He seemed enthusiastic about the church's statement against nuclear war. And naturally, I appreciated his recognition of volunteers like the two of us. I don't particularly agree that has anything to do with God, but I thought he was still a pretty cool guy. Do you think he is stupid? My mom asked. of course not. On the contrary, he seemed like a very intelligent man. Well, then, if he's so right about the immorality of nuclear war, and he's so right about the importance of volunteerism, what makes you think he's so wrong about everything he said about God? That was a good question. I didn't have a good answer for it. When I was attending Mass on a regular basis, St. Gabriel Church was a bit cold and unfriendly. There were cliques of people volunteered for the church, and who were friendly with one another. But overall, people came to Mass, fulfilled their obligation, left, and that was it. All of that began to change when the parish council decided they needed to do something to spark more involvement. They kick-started a program called Christ Renews His Parish. It was abbreviated CRHP but people pronounced it chirp as if the H and the R were reversed. A group of parishioners, consisting mostly of parish council members, including my mother, spent a weekend at a religious retreat presented by a parish in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Men and women attended the retreat separately. The program was not presented by professionals, but rather by ordinary Catholic parishioners who had been through the process themselves. Over the two-day experience, the team presented a program in which they would tell personal stories or give what they called witness talks about their own faith journey and what God had done for them. While giving testimony is quite common in Protestant denominations, Catholics are not typically accustomed to talking about their personal stories or their personal relationship with God. So this was a new experience for them. Once our parishioners had been through the process at the parish in Fort Wayne, they came home and spent six months in formation to present the same program to a group of our people. The process would then repeat every six months. Each group of people who attended the program would then form a team to present it to the next group six months later. My mother had been heavily involved in the parish prior to this process, but after returning from the retreat, her involvement, dedication, and enjoyment of church activities multiplied significantly. Although her disability advocacy work had been waning for some time, now all of her volunteer efforts were dedicated to the parish. Prior to attending church. It seemed like she was friendly and collegial with the people she worked with at church. After CHIRP, she developed really strong bonds of friendship. It was a much different experience. The most significant new relationship that came out of her involvement with the parish council and her subsequent involvement in CHIRP was her friendship with Judy Chapman. Judy also later became a significant person in my life as you'll learn in future episodes. Judy's husband, Paul, was not Catholic, but together they attended a year-long program at St. Gabriel called RCIA. That acronym stands for Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. That's R-I-T-E, right. It involves attending weekly classes in the Catholic faith, participating in various preparatory rites and rituals, and culminating with an initiation ceremony at the Easter Vigil Service the night before Easter. According to Jewish tradition and subsequently Catholic Christian tradition, each day ends and a new day begins at sundown. Therefore, attending Mass on Saturday evening counts for Sunday. The initiation ceremony consists of the sacrament of baptism for those that have not already been baptized in another Christian tradition, the sacrament of First Communion, also known as First Eucharist, and the sacrament of Confirmation, which we previously discussed. Judy didn't have a large family to attend the ceremony for her and her husband, so she invited my mother and me to come. I already mentioned I had no objection to supporting people by attending sacraments, and that Easter and Christmas weren't off the table. This Easter Vigil service counted as Easter Mass and would involved the in celebration of three sacraments at once. It was four for one. Despite the fact that it was going to last from about 8 p.m. until nearly midnight, I agreed to tag along. On April 21st, 1984, at the invitation of Judy Chapman, I attended the Easter Vigil Mass at St. Gabriel the Archangel Catholic Church to support her and to see her husband Paul initiated into the Catholic Church. What occurred that night was a challenge to my belief, or rather my unbelief, and it sent me on a journey back to the Catholic Church, a relationship that continues to this day. Next week, I'll talk about that evening and the events that followed as we continue to explore my faith journey. We'll continue on this topic for another couple of weeks and then take a break and go back to talking about disability issues. I'm planning a multi-part series chronicling my history in special education. If you find this podcast educational, entertaining, enlightening, or even inspiring, consider sponsoring me on Patreon for just $5 a month. You'll get early access to the podcast and any other benefits I might come up with down the road. It's not that I'm desperate for money, but hey, a little extra income sure could help. As always, a huge thanks to my Patreon supporters. I can't begin to say, what your support means to me. Even if you can't provide financial support, please, 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 please post links and share the podcast on social media so I can grow my audience. We'll see you next week as we continue contemplating a life. Until then, fly safe.